Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to James chapter 4. Uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 10 together this morning. Uh, and uh, we've been in a series, just as a refresher, called Under Pressure. Uh, that's been our, our, our current series. We started after Easter. And Under Pressure, what we've been talking about, what James is talking about in this letter he wrote to the church scattered around the world, is he's been talking about how to live out following Jesus, living out living the way of Jesus, when you're under pressure from the way of the world and how the world is inviting you to live, and how the world is saying, oh, this is so much easier, so much more enjoyable. And, and so James is uh, walking through this letter, writing to these churches, just identifying a number of problems uh, where the church has just become under so much pressure uh, to act like the world and be like the world and get stuck in um, ways of thinking and patterns of living like the world lives. And so uh, we have another one of those things he's identifying today in chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. And so we're going to read this, and, uh, and, and then we're going to walk through what James is identifying this morning that is putting us under pressure. So let's read this together, starting in verse 1. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously as the scriptures say. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. How many of you feel encouraged right now? Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, we want to hear your voice. We want to hear your words. 
not just to direct our doing, but to direct our being. We invite you. Speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, my wife loves to work out. How many of you like to work out? We have some people who like to work out. A few. The rest of you, I'm with you. I don't like to work out. Uh, It's not my favorite, I'll be completely honest. But my wife loves to work out. Uh, She's like... uh, working out six days a week. She's eight months pregnant right now. She's still working out six days a week. She's insane. Uh, she, she worked uh, out with, with our first child, um, like literally right up until her due date. She doesn't stop. She scares and terrifies me. Uh, but she loves to work out. And so this year for um, uh, kind of a Mother's Day slash birthday gift, I, I got her family, my family, or like our whole family together, and I said, hey, do you want to go in with me on a really special gift for Jillian? And, and we went in on a Peloton bike for her. And so she is the owner, I know, she's the owner, yeah, that's, this thing scares me too and terrifies me. Uh, and, and she owns a brand new Peloton bike. We all put in, pulled our money together to do this, and, and she loves it. She loves it. Uh, she has more rides logged on this bike than days she's owned the bike. Uh, she is, she's crazy. I know. She's crazy. And, and I have to, like, keep going down now and, like, adjusting the seat a little higher for her because her belly now with the baby, and, and so her legs keep, like, hitting. It's, it's crazy. Um, but it's awesome, and, and she's all about it, and, and I knew she would use it a lot because she just loves to exercise, and she, she, loves, she just loves it. It's a huge part of, of what she loves to do. So uh, I, being the non-exerciser, but knowing that's probably something that would be healthy and good for me, decided I was going to give it a crack. Yeah, I see that nod, Chris, of, of encouragement going like, all right. I have a five-week streak. I'm just putting that out there. Not bragging, but I've, I've worked out five straight weeks. I'm just saying. Uh, no, no big deal. No big deal. I'm also not eight months pregnant, and I don't do it every day. Uh, but I, I've ridden it, and, and I got on it. I got my own, my own bike shoes clipped in. And let me tell you, when you log on to the Peloton platform and you do your first ride, you feel like you just won the lottery. The way those instructors talk to you, the way they encourage you, you are like a million bucks at that moment. And uh, let's be honest, they got to make you feel really good because you just spent a lot of money on this bike and they're going to make sure you really are happy that you're on this bike, right? So uh, we, we got this bike and, and, I've, and I've started to ride it for a few weeks. I'm getting into it. And every time I'm in one of these rides and they're so encouraging and all these positive messages, there's a common theme that keeps coming up from all of the instructors and, and, that I've noticed. And, and, and it goes like this, you have the power within you to achieve all of your goals. And everyone has their own variation depending on the instructor, but the message goes something like that. And as far as working out's concerned, I guess there's some helpful elements in it. I don't really believe I have the power in me to make it through some of these spin rides, to be completely honest. Um, but Generally speaking, I know, yeah, this is good. Okay, I, this is like mind over matter, right? I can work hard. I can, I can do the exercise, and it's about investing and taking care of my body. This is good for me, right? And I generally feel better after I ride. Not immediately, maybe a few hours later, I feel better about it. Uh, 
but so, I, so I've been doing this, but that message is just, it's so blatant. And the more I'm on the platform and the, the more I, I take a class, I hear it more and more and more and more. But their messaging, if, if we're honest, it kind of, they, don't, they mean about the bike, but then you start to listen and, and they're really saying like, you know, this goes way beyond the bike. You have the power to achieve your goals in life. Your fitness is just the start. Imagine what you could, you could be like in, in your career. Imagine what you could be like in your relationships. Imagine what you could be like in your family, whatever it is, uh, and with your friends. And, and they just say over and over, you know, if you believe it, if you, if you stick to your goals, you have the power within you through sheer determination of will to achieve your goals. But here's my question for you. How many of you have worked your butt off at something in your life uh, and it just didn't work? Sheer willpower and you still failed. This is where my cynic kicks in when I'm like riding on these apps. I'm like, shut up. Like, that's not true. <laughs> and I just go. Then I'm like, I know. Like, they just want me to work harder on, my, on the bike and I try and be quiet and do it. But, but isn't that, on, aren't we honest? Let's be honest about that. May, some of us have had marriages we've worked really hard at and they just didn't work. Sheer willpower, everything I've got, I'm going to go to therapy, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to pray, it just didn't work. Some of us uh, have had careers that just didn't work. For some reason, we, we couldn't hit the right metrics, we couldn't make enough sales, we couldn't do this, we couldn't do that. It just didn't work. We, we've tried to learn a new skill. I'm trying to get on a spin bike. Sometimes it doesn't work. No matter how hard you tried, maybe, it just didn't work. Maybe you had a desire in your heart, uh, like, you know, we're here in West, West Milford. Let's be honest. Everyone that's not here today, they're out on the boat. We know where they are. We know where they are. Or, or, or a lake house, right? Or there's some desire you had. You wanted to get it, and you just couldn't get it. It just didn't work. Or, or you, you had some kind of position, maybe even in church, some kind of volunteer role, or, or in some kind of nonprofit organization, or in your kid's PTA or something, and you know what? You, you tried to, to go for this or that kind of role, and it just didn't work. It doesn't matter how much sheer willpower and determination you put into it. It didn't seem like it was going to happen. How many of you uh, on your journey to try and realize your goals had people of oh, people, People blocking you from achieving your goals. How dare they? I know there's like half the room's like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Let's, yeah, I know you do. Come on. We have people that stop us, even Christians that stop us. Other fellow believers that are like, no, they're trying to keep us from realizing our desires. You ever noticed in any or all of these scenarios how frustrated you felt? You noticed when you were blocked from achieving a goal or you failed at something, the pain you felt, the frustration that you felt, the, the anger or the restlessness that you felt because you were not achieving the goal that you set out with all your might to achieve. Anyone know what I'm talking about? People getting in the way from real, you realizing your dreams and you feel frustrated. Here's what I want to tell you. Um, God actually created you for fulfillment. Did you know that? God created you for fulfillment. To, to live with purpose in life. 
actually to, to experience a version of success. It's true. But often what we get that confused with is trying to meet our desires through our own sheer willpower. And that actually just constantly seems to end in frustration. Even if we're one of those lucky few who realize our goal, once we've realized the goal, we go, ooh, this is nice, but there's that goal way out there. That would be even better. And, and we, when we try and meet our desires uh, on our own the way the world does, we, we actually don't get fulfillment in the end. We get frustration. What do I mean by frustration? What does that mean? I just, like my daughter, she'll be like, I feel frustrated, she says. I feel frustrated. Sometimes it's like a kid feels frustrated, but what I'm talking about is the sense in which James talks about here. There's a sense of I'm in this constant conflict with others or with myself. He says, I'm at war with myself. There's that sense of nothing's going right for me. It's almost like you can't escape this gravity of restlessness in your life. Anyone ever feel like that in their life? The angst, the annoyance with other people. Am I the only one? Someone give me something here this morning. You guys can interact with me. I know I'm not the only one that's human in the room. But but we've all had these kind of desires uh, in, in our lives and we want to see them fulfilled, and, and we have that sense of personal significance, but, but when we're going after it with sheer willpower, we find ourselves getting frustrated time and time again. But what James wants us to see here today, and what Jesus really wants us to see, is, is that when we actually humble ourselves before God, we can move from frustration to fulfillment in every area of life. When we humble ourselves before God, we can move from frustration to fulfillment in every area of life. But it might not look like what you think. So I want to talk about this a little bit before we get into uh, the meat of what I have. What I want to offer you is five keys to moving from uh, frustration to fulfillment that James identified in the passage. But before we do, I need to give you a little bit of context James uses this phrase, and I've used it a couple times, the world. He talks about friendship with the world in this passage. What is the world that James is referring to? When James is writing about the world or any other biblical writer, especially in the New Testament, is talking about the world, uh, what they are referring to is uh, the, the cultural uh, uh, set of rules and, and norms, uh, power, institutions, uh, systems in, in society, the ideologies, the worldviews, the patterns of how we do things in the world around us and in society. That's what James is referring to when he says the world. He is not, I want to make this clear, saying people. He's not saying you cannot be friends and should not be friends with people who don't follow Jesus. That's not what he's referring to when he says you're, you have friendship with the world. He's talking about the kinds of things that people get stuck in and are formed by. Cultural norms, power, institutions, systems in society, ideologies, worldview, all of these things, these patterns of living that are actually the way of the world and opposite of God's kingdom, which is the way of Jesus. 
So this is what James is talking about. And, and it's this framework where we're Jesus followers. He's talking to Christians in this letter. He's not talking to people who, don't, who say they don't follow Jesus. He's talking to people who say they follow Jesus. And, and he is actually pointing out a high level of hypocrisy here. And that's why he's calling them adulterers. I'll get into a little more of the specifics of why he says that in a minute. But they don't even realize that, that they have left the patterns and the way of Jesus. And they've started to try and do Christianity in the way of the world. And they don't realize what's happening. And it, it's really, really uh, frustrating for them. And they're fighting and they're quarreling amongst themselves. Because things are trying to be achieved through their own willpower. Let's be honest, in our own lives, how often have we tried to uh, do the Peloton approach to Christianity? Let me see if I can figure this out on my own. Sheer willpower and determination. I'll be like Jesus. I'll follow him. I'll check all the boxes. I have it in me. I have the power in me to do it. And we try Peloton Christianity and, and we try and uh, make things happen through our own willpower. And this is what James says. This is a way of following the world and it's causing quarrels, it's causing fights, it's causing frustration because it's based on your will and it's not based on living out in the way of Jesus. Parents of, of children, how, how many times do you get in uh, parental arguments uh, over things with your kids because you're trying to achieve certain goals with your children through your own strength. How many of you have been in arguments over kids over things like that? How, how many of you maybe serve here in our church and have a vision for how you want a certain ministry to go or how a certain life group is going to function or, or maybe even just how the coffee gets set out and it's not going according to plan? And there's conflict with people. Anytime you have that sense of frustration, a lack of peace, it's probably a sign that you are trying to live out your Christian life in the way of the world instead of in the way of Jesus. That lack of peace. We say, well, I don't think I'm doing it the way the world. James says you're killing each other. You're murdering each other. I, last I checked, I didn't kill someone. Yes, but what does Jesus say? If you have hated your brother or sister, you've murdered them. Contempt. Now we're going, ooh, I have a small, large list of people that maybe I have some contempt for. And James is saying, there you go. That's what we're talking about. And James takes all this, these patterns, these ways of living that's, uh, that's trying to put us first and live through sheer willpower and pushing anyone out of the way and quarreling with anyone who blocks us from achieving these goals and all this frustration we have. He says, hey, you're trying to live out the way of Jesus, but through the pattern of the world here. And that's why he uses that strong language, adulterers. Now, here, here's why he says that. Our, our new nature, when you choose to follow Jesus, your nature is completely different. Your old self dies, and you become, this is where the term born again comes from. The Holy Spirit renews your life. You have a new nature and a new person. That old person's dead. The sinful person's dead. You are a new creation in Christ. 
You're filled with the Holy Spirit. And what James is saying is, is you have new life in Jesus and you go, thank you very much. And you walk over here and you keep doing exactly the same thing you were doing. And it's a smack in the face to our lover, God, who has given everything to us, including our very breath. And so that's why James uses this language. You're, you're actually, James says, this is so serious, you're making yourself an enemy to God by having this kind of friendship with the world and following these patterns for your life to achieve your desires and to find fulfillment. And James really wants to challenge this. And, and what he wants to do, and, and I just want to encourage you, if you're, if you're new here or, or you're like, this, this is like heavier maybe than you're used to, because I'm not going to lie, this is a heavy uh, text to teach this morning. Uh, there, I want you to hear in this the invitation from Jesus. Because James is going to, in a second, and this is where we're going to talk about five keys to moving from uh, frustration to fulfillment. James wants to say, and God wants to say more importantly, that he doesn't want you to stay there in that place of frustration, in that place of restlessness, in that place of uh, never uh, making it to your goals through your own willpower. God actually wants to move you from frustration to fulfillment today. So if you're ready for that, and I, I want you to, I hope you're ready for that because that's where I feel like we need to go today. I, I want to give you five keys from this text for moving from frustration to fulfillment, from frustration to fulfillment. Number one, James says, submit yourself to God. Submit. He says, humble yourself in the version we read, humble yourself, but the Greek word You could also translate it as submit. Another word you could translate it as is subject yourself to God. I don't know about you, but I don't like the tone of that word, personally. Anyone else? I prefer, hey, if it's cool with you, maybe God would like you to do it this way. That's not what it says. Subject yourself to God. Subject yourself to Him. Your will... Your, your possessions, your time, your way of thinking about the world, the way you want to do things, lay it all down before him. This isn't going to be done your way. It's going to be done his way. And this is like, I, I don't know about you, but, you know, growing up in America, I feel like this is particularly hard because we are taught from a very early age, remember our, our cultural kind of world, we're taught that our, our rights and our independence has been won for us by, by blood on battlefields, and it is the most important thing, and you need to guard it. And there's some really good things that have come out of that, but the negative side that's come out of that is, I'm not submitting to anyone. Let's be honest. It's really hard, even as Christians, to submit to God when we go, I have rights. Even those rights you need to lay down. So James is suggesting here, if we need to submit ourselves like this, we're probably pretty full of pride. He says right before this in in, uh, verse 6, doesn't he? He says, God opposes the proud. People want to try and do things in their own will, their own power, their own strength. He's go right ahead. It's not going to work for you. But it says God gives grace to the humble. So submit yourself. And do things in our own strength. And he calls us out of that. 
We want uh, to do everything, it seems, but submit, don't you? Don't we? Like, okay, God, you know, uh, give, me, give me the person that I need to take care of. Okay, tell me that thing I need to do over here. Send me to far off wherever. I'll do this radical thing for you. I'll speak out here. I'll, I'll do that. I'll serve these people. I'll do that. And God's like, no, I want you to submit to me. I'm like, ah, oh, it's the one thing I'd really rather not do, God. Can we, can we come back to that later? And what James is telling us is you cannot do anything until you submit. We want to do everything but submit, and we cannot do anything until we submit. Uh, one uh, friend of mine would say often, there is no peace without surrender. The frustration you're feeling, that, that self-will and determination that you want to make happen and, and, and force your way towards your goals and towards fulfillment is just going to lead to more frustration, more angst, more chaos, more confusion. But if we submit, if we surrender, there's peace because we're no longer fighting and trying to make our will happen. So first, James says we need to submit if we're going to find fulfillment. Second, we need to resist. Resisting comes after submission. James says resist the devil and he will flee. Interesting that he says this. He's saying tied up in your own personal ambition, your self-will is the evil one there trying to make things a whole lot messier and trying to just get you to do things on your own as much as possible. This is what he's been doing all the way since Genesis chapter 3. Did God really say that you couldn't eat this fruit? You know, if you eat this fruit, you'll have a lot of your own power. He's been doing the same thing. He doesn't really, he's not very original, the devil. He pretty much does the same thing all the time. Do it on your own. Do it on your own. Do it on your own. But when you submit, notice the order here. When you submit yourself to God, you have authority to stand, resist. The Greek word is to oppose, to stand against the devil. And James doesn't say what? He doesn't say he might leave or he'll go away slowly. What does it say? He will flee He's going to run and head for the hills fast. Do you realize when you submit your life to Jesus, you then have authority to resist the devil in every area of your life? A lot of Christians don't realize that. I had a professor in Bible school, and he was telling a story of when he was a pastor in a local church. They had a woman who was a witch who became a Christian, and she left her witchcraft behind. But she was telling them a story one day uh, that when she was a witch, she would see what she called like auras on people. And she, and she could see like different like light on them based on the kind of spiritual power they had, this witch was telling them. And, and she said, uh, she said, you know, I, one day I started coming across these people who had this incredible spiritual power on them. I was a little bit frightened. I didn't know what to do with it. it and I tried to stay away from them. And I found out they were Christians. She would just see anyone that had that, like she would find out they were Christians. But then she said this. She said, then after a while I realized I didn't need to worry about them because they didn't actually realize the power they had. What are you carrying when you submit yourself to God? It looks like humility. It looks like you're, you know doing the opposite of what brings success in life. And, and here's James saying, you do that first and then you're going to have the power to resist the devil and he'll flee from you. 
Third, we submit, we resist on our road to fulfillment. And then as James says, come. Come, draw close to God. Come close to God and he will come close to you. This is interesting. I, so whenever I've done uh, any kind of deliverance ministry with people, if they've had demonic activity in their life, things like that, um, the second that demonic activity is gone and it flees, every single person I've ever done this with, they, they can hear the voice of God and sense his nearness in, in a way they didn't even think was possible because they didn't realize all the noise they had going on in their head. And, and James is saying, when you remove the, the influence of the evil one from your life, there's space to draw close to God in a way you didn't think was possible through worship, through prayer, through daily coming in, into the scripture and, and just finding that space. God, I just want to draw near to you. Here I am. I'm showing up every day. I'm making myself available. And then what does he say? He might come close to you if you're lucky. No. He will come close to you. What a promise that is. If resist the devil and he will flee is a promise, how about this one? Draw close to God and he will draw close to you. If you show up, God's going to show up. If you show up, God's going to show up. I feel like we need to say that again. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to someone right now. Turn to someone around you. I never, I never have you interact like this, but I'm going to right now because I really feel like God wants to remind you of this. Turn to someone. If you've got multiple someones around you, you're going to have to say it again. It's good for you. I want you to look at them, and I want you to say, if you show up, God will show up. Come on. Don't be ashamed. Go ahead. Do it. Make sure you say it to each other. It's true. If you show up, God will show up. I had a mentor of mine say, you can have as much of God as you want, but no more. That stuck with me. You can have as much of God as you want, but no more. That means God, God's here. He, you show up, he's going to show up. But as much as you choose to show up, that's how much you're going to receive. So how much are you showing up? How much of you are you showing up? He will come close to you. That promise is so good. And then that brings us to number four, wash. On this journey from frustration to fulfillment, we, we submit, we resist, we come, and then we wash. It says, wash yourself, you sinner. Purify yourself. Be cleansed. I want you to notice this order again. This is incredibly important. James does not say, wash yourself, get clean, and then draw close to God, and he'll draw close to you. That's not what he says, is it? Draw close to God, he will draw close to you. Not clean yet. You're still a mess. We're all still a mess. And then what does he say? Wash. So this is something I think we, we, we make the mistake of a lot is, is we, we think, okay, I want to draw close to God. I have, I've been away from prayer for a while. Let me like do the right things here real quick. I'll pray real quick. I'll read my Bible or like I'll go to church again and then I'll be able to draw close to God. And we get it wrong and we're actually doing it in our own willpower again, trying to get ourselves clean. Still the way of the world, the same pattern. We do not make ourselves clean, friends. We draw near to God, and then in his presence, 
and in the presence of others that are attentively gathered around Jesus, we confess our sins. We are cleansed of our sins. We, we recognize what needs to be cleansed from within us. This cleansing work happens in his presence. You're supposed to come to him completely jacked up in a mess. You're supposed to come to him completely broken. You're supposed to come to him completely like, I don't know what's going on. Look at all this mess in my life. Look at all the sin. Look at all these things that I've done. Look at how much I'm following the way of the world and I thought I was following Jesus. Look at all this frustration, this pent-up restlessness, all of this. Come close to God. He'll come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify yourselves. And he says that we have to deal with our divided loyalties here. It's in the presence of Jesus as Jesus begins to peel away the brokenness, the sin, the, the pain, the, the things that we have held on to that are creating frustration in our lives. It's these things, as he begins to peel them away, he holds them up and he says, so this divided loyalty issue you're having, you can have this, you can have me, which would you like? You can't, deal, I don't even know if I have the right words to say this this morning, you cannot deal with your divided loyalty in your heart unless you are doing it in the presence of Jesus because the world's gonna win that battle every time because it's really comfortable and easy to stay there and you're just kind of flowing with the current of society. But when you draw near to God and you see the real thing, you're like, cleanse me in the river, Jesus, let's go. We have to deal with our divided loyalties. We have to uh, not confess our sins in some dark corner somewhere alone quietly with God. It actually involves Christian community, people who are also drawing close to God. And in that space, we confess one to another. We've, we've studied this uh, previously, but in 1 John, Jesus, uh, John's writing, and he says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you. And he says, uh, you'll have fellowship with each other, not you'll have fellowship with God. You realize when you confess your sins, if you feel like you're distant from Christian community, it's probably because there's secrets in your heart that are keeping you from one another. And you're cleansed and set free. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us. When we enter into his presence, we get washed. And then finally, we grieve. Verse 9 says, let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and, and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Okay, hold on, pastor. Stop, stop. Okay, told me I have to submit, give up my rights, that's hard enough as it is, fine, I'll do it. Okay, then, then I got to resist the devil, okay, I get it, I've got authority, all right, I need to walk in that, a little weird, maybe I don't understand the whole spiritual worldview thing of the Bible, fine, but I'll do it. Okay, I come before God, I don't know, okay, maybe I'm, I'm sensing it, it's fine, cool. Okay, I'm going to confess my sin, this is painfully awkward, embarrassing, this, is, I, this feels very private but I'm confessing my sin, I'm doing that, okay. Isn't it done now? Now I have to grieve, what are you talking about? What is James talking about? Isn't the work done? Haven't I been punished enough? 
is what we think in our heads. That's what I think sometimes. Haven't I been punished enough? What do you mean I have to have sorrow over this, cry over it? What's he talking about? Let's be honest. When you read, let there be sorrow and deep grief, laughter and gloom instead of joy, I'm thinking, did he hear the resurrection happen? Aren't we supposed to like, okay, I confess my sin, I'm free now. What's the problem? What's going on here? This is really painful and uncomfortable, and quite honestly, grief is something we, we love to skip. We want to have as little pain as possible and then move on. We, we can't skip this part of this repentance process, though, that moves us from frustration to fulfillment. Here, here's why. If, if you skip this kind of grief, what you're actually doing is you're numbing yourself to true transformation. You, you can't get transformed and changed from frustration to fulfillment unless you actually have an experience of remorse for how you were living previously. If we, if we go, okay, I confess my sins, I'm good, we're good. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I don't need to do that again. I shouldn't do that again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all know that person. Either we've done it ourselves, we have a spouse that does it, we have a friend or a coworker. And they go, oh, you're right, you're right, I won't do it again, I won't do it again, I'm so sorry. Yeah, you're totally right, I'm terrible, I'm terrible. But then we know they're going to do it again in two weeks. You know who I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. There's no remorse, it's not true confession. They're just trying to get it off their back. And when we don't enter from washing and recognizing I'm a sinner, by the way, that sinner idea the word sin really literally just means missing the mark. And we're coming with all of our frustration, all of our, you know, our missed expectations, all of our uh, trying to do this in our own willpower, and we're going, oh yeah, I missed the mark. I'm definitely a sinner. I, I just keep coming up short. I can't find real fulfillment. But if we stop there, we short-circuit the whole transformation, the whole repentance process. And we'll just repeat it again and again and again. And it actually gets harder and harder the more we ignore this part, the remorse part, the grief part of the process. Because what we're doing is we're teaching our, our brain, we're teaching our soul, actually, that we only go so far. And I'm going to keep a little bit of myself back because I don't want to go there. Pride's pride. It doesn't matter if it's a lot of pride or a little pride. What James is calling us to is tears that transform us. Tears that lead to transformation. When I was, Jillian and I were in our first year uh, of marriage. I had uh, I'd been managing a pornography problem probably for I don't know, most of my teenage and young adult life, managing it, like keep it at bay, you know, put blocks on different software things, try and make it work, but I wasn't really dealing with the issue in my heart. Early in our marriage, I, I made some mistakes, and I knew I needed to confess to her, went to her. She had no idea I wasn't caught or anything, but I, I, I literally 
you want to invite the Holy Spirit in and, act, and ask him to, man, the Holy Spirit will make you miserable when you have unconfessed sin. I'm not even kidding. I was miserable. I came to her. I, I knew I, I needed to confess this, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, is this just going to be always a problem? I knew she was going to be really disappointed, really mad. She had every right to be. I confessed to her. I told her. She was not happy. We lived in a little apartment at that time, and I think I told her in our little bathroom there. Honestly, we've had more hard conversations in that bathroom in the seven years we lived in that apartment, man. We think about it fondly, actually. But, but in that moment, it, it, was, it was not good. She was upset. I was freaking out. What's going to happen? She went to bed very angry at me. You know, I know they say in the Bible, can't go, let the sun go down on your anger. Sometimes you need to just go to bed angry. That verse sometimes a little out of context. But she went to bed angry, and I remember just laying there. And I cried. And I wept. And I cried. And I, man, I'm like an ugly crier. Like, you know, it's not just like little tears. Like, it's, it's, there's weird noises. Sounds like an animal's in the apartment. Yeah. It, I, I'm, a, I'm a, not a good crier. I'm a nasty crier. But I, I, what I was doing in that moment wasn't just, oh, no, like, woe is me. My wife found out what I did. I recognized how badly I'd hurt her. I recognized what was happening sin. And there were tears that brought transformation. There's, I, I can honestly tell you that there's not a moment I've had an issue since. And, and, it, and it, there was something that, that fundamentally changed in the deepest part of who I am at that moment because I, I allowed myself to grieve tears that brought transformation. And so we need church. I, I want, I, I think this is missing more in the American church than anything else, it is, is we love to confess up to a point, but we don't see tears that lead to transformation. And folks, if we start seeing tears that lead to transformation, and listen, if people start blubbering in church, good. We need tears that lead to transformation. Are you tired of faking it? You don't fake this. I've said this like a million times. I have better things to do. We could all get brunch if we're just here to fake it. Let's have tears that lead to transformation. Let's experience the real fulfillment of what God wants to do in us and through us. And I love verse 10. James closes this section and, and just recaps those, those five keys. He, he says, humble yourself again before the Lord. And get, guess what? He will lift you up with honor. True fulfillment, authentic fulfillment. It's not going to look anything like you thought it was going to look. This is nothing like the world's pattern for finding fulfillment and success. But let me tell you, when you find it, it's so good and it's so fulfilling and there's real life change and you won't believe that you could have lived any other way. 
I want you to get the real thing. Do you want to get the real thing? Some of you have had the real thing. Some of you have tasted the real thing. But even, even for those of you who've tasted the real thing, there's more. There's more. God's not done with you yet. Where do you have frustration in your life? Where, where are you finding their quarrels among you? Where are you, is your life looking like Peloton Christianity, following again and again the patterns of this world? God says to you today, true fulfillment, true fulfillment comes from God when we submit, when we resist, when we come, when we wash, and when we grieve. This is humility. This is the key to true fulfillment. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.